Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Well, I want to say thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Uh, my wife and I are just honored. Uh, we're so honored to be here um, in this place. And, and I said it last time we came, it, it kind of feels like home for us already. And I'll tell you why. My wife and I actually have known each other uh, for, I don't know, 30 something years, uh, a long time. Uh, we grew up in the same church together, and the church that we originally grew up in was a lot like this church and how it looked. And so as I'm standing here, it's actually almost kind of nostalgic uh, just being here, but we are so honored, and we do not take it lightly. We don't take it for granted um, that we get a chance to be welcome into your church family here and, and that we get a chance to be family. And so if we're going to be family, you need to know a couple of things about me, right? Because I'm like the cousin that you just met at the family reunion, right? <laughs> you got to love me just because we're in the family, right? But just a couple of things. Uh, we are from Alabama, and so you're probably going to hear some things, especially if you're not originally from the South, that probably will sound unique, right? So we say words in Alabama that may not be in your dictionary, but they're in every dictionary in Alabama, just so that you know. Uh, so you'll hear me say words like ain't and y'all, and I know that's not good English, but it just feels so good to say it, all right? In fact, I think it'd be cool if we just all say it together, right? On the count of three, I just want to hear everybody say y'all. Just you're giving your best y'all on the count of three. One, two, three. Yeah, see, now you're, you're from Alabama, too. Like, you're, you're family <laughs> right along with me. And so, uh, so we're just going to have a good time today around God's Word. And, um, and here's what I'd love to encourage you to do. I grew up in churches that were very, very expressive. And so if the preaching is good to you and if you're enjoying it, I'm just going to encourage you just to jump right in. And you can say something like, amen. You can just shout out, amen, if you like it. Um, you can say, preach. That's what my mom would say all the time. Mom was kind of aggressive. She would say, you better preach that message, right? So, so you can say preach uh, or anything like that, uh, but a little feedback uh, kind of goes uh, a long way. And so we've been in this message series, and I say we because I've been joining you guys online. And so shout out to our online family. I've been watching online for months now, and I've uh, been enjoying the message series. And so Pastor Carlos kicked us off a couple of weeks ago uh, with God's original plan. Uh, and then on last week, we had Pastor Clay in the house, who gave us a wonderful message on Mother's Day, as we honored all of the moms, of course. And um, so today, I want to just continue right along that message series. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about the legacy of fruitfulness. Legacy of fruitfulness. And I think it's an interesting thought. Pastor Carlos actually touched on this a little bit uh, in his first message two weeks ago. Uh, but he touched on Genesis chapter 1. And if you want to go ahead and get ahead of me and you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're going to be starting. And that's where our base text is going to come from. Uh, but he mentioned this scripture where God is in the midst of creation. And, of course, he's created everything. He's created the mountains. He's created the stars. He's created land. And he's even created animals at this point. But he saves his best for last, mankind. Uh, and right when God creates us, we see something interesting happen. We see that God gives the very first command that he's ever spoken over mankind. Genesis chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. Of course, God's hand and God's favor was in that blessing. It says that God blessed them, and here's the command, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And oftentimes, many of us look at that scripture, be fruitful and multiply, and we only assume that God is talking about having children, right, procreating, expanding the family. And it will be easy to kind of skip over that first word, be fruitful, and not really break it down and really get the full meaning 
of what God was saying because he said be fruitful and multiply. Of course, and means in addition to. So first be fruitful, but then in addition to being fruitful, then I want you to multiply. And I want us to notice something here, that the word fruitful means to be productive. It means to produce good results, right? And it means to be beneficial. So that's what the word fruitful means. And of course, multiply means to increase in number. And I think it's so important to remember this, that being fruitful has to do with quality, whereas multiplying has to do with quantity, right? So being fruitful is quality. It's a quality of life that God has always designed us to be, right? Pastor Carlos talked about this. In God's original plan, he originally designed us and created us to be fruitful and then to multiply. And now the order that God actually puts it in is quite important. It's very important because it is possible to multiply something that's not of good quality, right? But God's design, God's plan has always been for us to first be fruitful, then to multiply. And I want you to think about it like this. This church started five years ago with 10 people in a room on this side of the building. And in just five years, look at where God has brought this church, right? So God is blessed, and this church will multiply. But the important thing is, are we going to first be fruitful before we multiply? Because what we want to produce at Celebration Church is good quality. We want to be productive. We want to be beneficial to the Amelia Allen community here. And so I'll give you an example of first being fruitful before multiplying. Uh, let's just say um, my wife and I, where we live in Birmingham, there's a, there's a place that we love to go to, uh, and it's a wonderful place. It's a happy place. Uh, it's, a, it's a godly place. It's called Chick-fil-A, everybody. <laughs> I take it that y'all have that place here too, right? It's a wonderful place. And uh, let's just say uh, Chick-fil-A, they have something that every single recipe, every single restaurant has. It's called a recipe. And so let's just assume that we take a Chick-fil-A store that makes, I don't know, about 1,000 sandwiches a day. Let's just throw that number out there. Uh, and let's just say that this Chick-fil-A, on this particular day, for whatever reason, they decide, I, I just want to mess with the recipe, right? I want to take some things out of it that should be in it. Uh, and I want to maybe double the amount of salt that should be in it. I want to just double the amount of flour that's in it. Um, I want to add some vinegar to it. I want to add some cinnamon to it. Like they're messing with the recipe, right? How many of you know they can still multiply? They can still produce a 1,000 sandwiches, but it won't be a 1,000 sandwiches that you and I would want to buy, right? So the important thing here is that we want to make sure that it's first quality and not just quantity. We want to make sure that we are reproducing what God has originally, the original recipe that God has given us to be fruitful in our lives. And Jesus, yeah, you can clap. That's all right. Yeah, I, I, I saw you, Kyle. I'll give it to you, Kyle. Jesus, um, Jesus actually continues this conversation. So God the Father speaks it over us in the garden, right, in Genesis. But I want you to notice that this is actually a principle that's woven throughout the entire Bible. God says be fruitful and multiply numerous times in the Old Testament. He would say, I'm going to make you fruitful, and I'm going to increase you. I'm going to make you fruitful, and I'm going to multiply. He says it dozens and dozens of times in the Old Testament. But then Jesus actually comes, and he picks up the conversation. And I'll just quote it to you for the sake of time. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, he's talking about a bunch of people who would come in his name and, and pretend like they were from him. He says this. He says, by their fruit, you're going to recognize whether they're from me or not, right? You'll be able to look at the fruit of their life and recognize whether they truly are my followers, or not. John chapter 15, and let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear 
much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Look at verse 8. He says, this, this what? This us bearing fruit, us being fruitful, us having a life that produces quality and benefit to others. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Celebration Church, it's to the Father's glory that we bear much fruit in our life, right? It's to the Father's glory. It's not about our name, but it's about his name. And I'm, I think about this verse, and it makes me remember when I was younger, and my mom would get me all dressed up for us to go somewhere, and she would make sure my hair was in place when I had hair, right? But she would make sure that I was all dressed up. And before we went into wherever it is that we were going, she would give me the talk. And if you have an old school parent, you know what the talk was, right? It's like, all right, when we go in here, don't touch anything. Don't break anything. <laughs> Act like I've trained you well. Why? Because the Smith family name is on the line, right? And how I behave was a reflection of her. Jesus says, hey, when you live a life that is fruitful, the family name is on the line. As a follower of Jesus, we reflect who Father God is, right? We reflect who Father God is. And so Jesus gives us this example. He talks about it a little bit, and he actually shows us through his life what fruitfulness looks like. He hangs out with the disciples we know for about three years, and he shows them what fruitfulness looks like. And if we look at what he says to them, this is the very last conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. These are guys that he invested his life into over the course of three years. And he says this in Matthew chapter 8, 28, verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've already commanded you. Surely, I'm with you always. So I want you to see the same principle there, that first Jesus showed them how to be fruitful, and then he says, now I want you to go out and teach others to be fruitful. That's the multiplication principle there. So Jesus walked it out for us. He showed us what it looked like. And he said, hey, now I want you to go out and duplicate it. And so the question has to be asked, if we're called to live a lifestyle of fruitfulness, if legacy is all about being fruitful, then what does being fruitful look like, right? What does being fruitful look like? And I think that the book of Galatians chapter 5 gives us the perfect picture of that. If you have your Bible and you just kind of want to land there, this is where we're going to stay for the remainder of the message. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, of course, it gives us the fruits of the Spirit. And this is, this is, this is a verse that if you were raised in church, you've, you've heard all of these before. So I'm just going to kind of pull this out, dust it off a little bit, because I know uh, in our modern day uh, uh, vernacular and in our society, uh, verses like this are challenging, right? It lists a whole lot of things that it's like, man, I don't know if I'm quite there yet, but here's the, here's the thought. We're all growing together, right? None of us have got it all just figured out. We're all learning. We're all growing together. And I was even telling Pastor Carlos, as I'm making this message, I'm being challenged. I'm reading the scriptures going, ooh, <laughs> that one right there hits me right between the eyes, right? So Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such, there is no law. The fruits of the Spirit. This is the fruitfulness that God has always intended for us to have. This is the quality of life that God has always intended for us to display and to pass on as a legacy to our children, to our grandchildren, Come on, to our great-grandchildren, to our co-workers, to our community, to our neighbors, to everyone around us. Jesus has called us to live this life 
of fruitfulness. And here's why it's so important. It's important because when we go out into the world and we're living in the same society that everybody else is living in and everybody else is looking at the same news we're looking at and they're freaking out and they're panicking and they're just not living lives at a well, they're supposed to look at us and see something different. They're supposed to see us and go, man, how are you not freaking out when you look at the news, right? How are you not tripping when inflation is as high as it is? Like, how are you not stressing out about all that's going on in our world? And that's the opportunity that you and I have to say, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about how God has healed me. Let me tell you about how God has worked on me and changed me. This is the life of fruitfulness that leaves a life of legacy. And so by God's grace in the next five years when we're celebrating again, right, in the next 10 years when we're celebrating, people will be able to know us and have the reputation at Celebration Church. Hey, I don't know if I even believe everything that they believe, but man, those are the most fruitful people I've ever seen. I've seen that church be a place of healing, right? I've seen that place be a place of hope. I've seen that place be a place where people can go and be loved and be encouraged and they're kind and they're patient and they're, they're thoughtful. This is the legacy that we intend to leave. And so we're just going to step by step, walk through each and every one of these fruits of the Spirit. And I just want to give you some practical tips and some practical examples of what each one could even look like. And so here's what I did. We're going to go over each one of them, but with each one of them, I'm going to pose a question to all of us to just think about for a second. Just ponder. And I want you to write these questions down or take a picture on the screen if you need to. But we're going to start with the very first one, and I believe it's the very first one by design. I believe God does nothing accidental in his word. And the very first fruit we see is love. So the question with love, the fruit of love is, how can I show more love to others? How can I show more love to others? Now, this love is what the Bible calls an agape kind of love. And it's not just an emotion, church family. It's more than an emotion. It's being generous. It's being selfless. It's sacrificing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, love is patient. Come on, we've heard this at weddings, right? Love is patient. Love is not jealous. Love is kind. Love is not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no records of being wrong. It does not rejoice with injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never fails. It never loses faith. It always hopes and endures in every circumstance. Love, everybody. And maybe the reason that love is mentioned first goes back to what Jesus told the guy. Remember the guy came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, like, I want to know what the most important thing that I can do, the most important command. And Jesus said what the first thing, what did he say the first thing was? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your strength. And he says the second thing is, just like the first, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says this powerful, powerful statement. He says, if you can't do these two, you can't do any of the rest of it. He said, on these two hangs the entirety of the law. So the very first thing that we have to get, church, if we're going to leave a legacy of fruitfulness, it's just love. Number one, it's loving God passionately. It's loving Jesus passionately. It's passionately worshiping him. It's passionately going all out for him. But number two, it's loving people. It's being kind to people. It's being thoughtful to people. And I like to think about it like this. The word love can be replaced with a lot of other contexts, depending on the situation. So because love is an active word, love could mean that I'm protecting somebody, right? Love could mean that I'm considering somebody first. Love could mean I'm encouraging somebody. It could mean I'm serving somebody. Love is the hallmark and the calling card of God. So if we are going to embark on this legacy of fruitfulness, 
We've got to start with love. Everybody say love. We've got to start with love. Now, here's the second one. It's joy. Oh, come on. This is my favorite one right here. Joy. And here's the question. How could more joy change our community? I think about that for a second. How could more joy change our community? Wouldn't you agree that our world could use just a little more joy right now, especially over the last couple of years, right? Right, the world could use more joy, and joy is different from happiness. Let me make that clear distinction. Happiness is based on a circumstance. It's based on what's going on right now, right? But joy is just this permanent disposition of our heart. It's a positive outlook on life. It's being able to respond in a positive manner no matter what's happening around us. Joy is something permanent. And all of us have been around people that bring us joy. Have you ever been around just like a joyful person? Somebody that just walks in a room, they're silly, they're cracking jokes. Uh, They're just the kind of people that we want to be around, right? They're the kind of person that lifts the room. I got a daughter that's just full of joy. Man, she walks in a room and she's just bouncing like Tigger. She's just Tigger, right? (laughs) And it doesn't matter what you tell her to do. She's like, of course I can do it. That's what Tiggers do best, right? But she's a joyful person, and all of us love being around joyful people. But at the same time, all of us have people in our life where we see them coming, and it's like, man, I'm I got a phone call. I hang on just for a second, right? (laughs) We've seen those people that just suck the life out of a room, right? They're always negative. They're always complaining. And if you've got a choice, who do you want to be around the most? You want to be around a joyful person, right? You want to be around Tigger, right, Mr. Arlise? We want to be around Tigger. And so what the Bible, I believe, is communicating to us is that as we love people, let's have joy in our hearts. Hey, everybody, let's laugh. Let's have fun. Let's show people that serving God is a joy. Serving God is a pleasure. Serving God can be fun. It's not a religious requirement. No, this is a beautiful life that I get to live. And what I've learned about people who are joyful is this is the secret sauce. Everybody that I know that's joyful, it comes from a heart of just gratitude. Man, they're just thankful. They're thankful that God saved them. Come on, somebody. We're thankful that God saved us. We're thankful that God gave us another breath to breathe. Man, this day is a privilege. This day is an honor. Of course, of course I want to serve God. Of course I'm glad to be alive. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord, right? Just joy in our hearts. Did you know that the world, that our current, our our United States of America, currently we spend about $10 billion a year on people just trying to find joy. $10 billion a year on just TV and film, people just trying to find a laugh, just trying to have joy in their hearts. But we already, we already have the recipe, everybody. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So they're searching for a synthetic joy. We've got, we've got the real thing. And so I just want to encourage us. Let's just spread joy. Hey, at work, you can spread joy. Show up tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday, right? And there's going to be people that show up that don't want to be there on a Monday, right? Show up with a box of donuts and see how much joy shows up in that office, right? Just be the person that just walks in and says, hey, I got donuts, everybody. <laughs> you will spread more joy than you can imagine. Hey, when we see people out, let's just encourage people. Let's just be kind, like, let's just spread joy to a desperate world that needs to see. Everybody say joy. So here's the next fruit on the list. Uh, this one, peace. Peace. Oh, come on, we can use some peace in our world too, right? We can use a lot of that. And here's the question. How can we show others what true peace looks like? what true peace looks like. See, peace is not the absence of trouble. And I think that's what most people are looking for. They're looking for a way to not have problems, to not have troubles. But Jesus didn't even promise us that. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? But be encouraged. Take heart. I've overcome the world. And so what Jesus is communicating to us is that our joy is not predicated on what's going on around us. It's predicated on what's going on in us. 
When we have Jesus, when we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can have peace right in the midst of the storm. John chapter 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you, not as the world gives it. So let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Our peace knowing, our peace is knowing that Jesus is with us. And I'm, I'm reminded of what David said in Psalm chapter 23. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. See, our peace comes from knowing that he is in the fire with us. And I'm telling you that the world around us, they're desperate for peace. They're desperate to see people that know how to just walk it out and live it out and live this peaceful lifestyle where they can look at us and go, man, it's crazy out here, isn't it? And you go, yep, but God got me. It's a lot going on. Yep, but God got me. My mom used to say this thing. She would say, I ain't bothered, baby. <laughs> it doesn't matter what's going on. I ain't bothered, baby. And I'm telling you that if we can bear the kind of fruit that produces peace around others, I'm telling you, they're going to want to be around you. They're going to want to know what's going on, man. How are you living like this? And that's our opportunity to say, what? This is the Jesus that I serve. This is the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of me. And this is why I have so much peace. Everybody say peace. Here's the fourth one, patience. Oh, yeah. As soon as I said it, I felt the tension in the room, right? <laughs> We're all there. Like, we, we all live in the same world, right? And for this one right here, this one manifests for me uh, in a couple of ways. Um, number one, I have a child, and so uh, the pickup and drop-off line at school. Um, I'm just convinced that they are of the devil. Like, I'm just, I'm just convinced that Satan designed all of the pickup lines at schools, right? <laughs> Those things are rough, Right? But also it can kind of manifest for me when I'm sitting at a, a red light that turns green, but the person in front of me hadn't registered that it's green yet. And then you can see from behind, they're looking down, you're like, oh, they're on their phone, right? <laughs> Don't act like it's just me. We've all been there, right? <laughs> patience, right? And that's why we say patience is a virtue. See, in the world we live in, it's really a go, go, go kind of society. Like we're, we're just conditioned to want it quick, right, to want it fast. We live in a society, we live in a world where we don't have to cut the food up and put the food in the oven. Like, I can just go through the drive-thru, right? I can just stick something in the microwave. Like, I no longer even have to wait week by week to watch a television show. I can just binge watch it in one night if I wanted to, right? We just live in an instant society. And I was looking at the kids taking Polaroid pictures the other day, and I was thinking about, man, when Polaroid cameras came out, it was unbelievable. It was like, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that I can have a picture in about five to ten minutes, if I just sit it, like, wave it for a little bit and then just sit it on the... How many of y'all remember cameras where you had, like, an actual roll of film that you had to load and... Right? So patience, right? When we talk about patience, it's a virtue because we just haven't been conditioned to be patient. Not in the world we live in, but I think something happened during COVID. You know, there was a lot of uh, negative things that came, but one of the things I think that that was positive is that people began to see, wait a minute, this, the pace that I'm living at, it's, it's not sustainable. Like, this slowdown is actually kind of beneficial. It gives me an opportunity to look at my bride every now and then and say, you know what, wow, you're beautiful. I hadn't, we, we hadn't had a chance to just sit and talk and just look at each Like, it, we've been going so much, right? And so just the slowdown, just the slowdown, being able to say, I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to hold my wife's hand. We're going to take a walk around the neighborhood. Like, just having an opportunity was helpful to be able to slow it down because we live in such a, a fast-paced society. And so one of the ways that this fruit can be manifest is through just a patient lifestyle, but also patience with God's timing. Patience with God's timing. Oh, come on, somebody. When God is doing something in our life, we want it to be fast, <laughs> right? 
Come on, God, I want it to be tomorrow. Bless me now, right? But how many of you learned that God is just as much interested in the process of getting you there as he is getting you there, right? Now, I can get from here to California really quickly if I got in a plane. But if I was patient and willing to take the road trip, like I'm going to see things on the road that I would never see in the air. I'm going to encounter people along the road that I would never encounter if I was in the air. It takes a lot longer to get there, but there's a lot I'm going to learn. There's an experience that I'm going to have on the ground that I wouldn't have in the air. And that's the mindset of God. God is like, hey, I know we can get there fast, but like, I, I want to hang out with you. <laughs> I want to spend some time with you. I want you to grow and develop and be more mature at the end of this. I don't just want to bless you. I want to make sure that you're blessed and that you're prepared for the blessing. Amen, somebody, right? So this lifestyle of patience can actually communicate so much to a world around us that's just go, go, go. And what an opportunity we have. Think about it. What an opportunity we have to leave a legacy of fruitfulness by just showing people what it looks like to be patient. To say, hey, I, I know there's a lot going on. I know there's a lot we got to do, but let's just take a minute. Let's just walk together. Let's talk together. You feel that, everybody? Everybody say patience. Now, this next virtue, this next fruit of the Spirit, it's a big one, and it's kindness. It's kindness. And here's the question. How can I be more intentional with my kindness? How can I be more intentional with my kindness? Now, kindness is interesting because, especially in the Bible Belt South, the world just hasn't seen a lot of kindness from the church over the years, if I'm being honest, right? They haven't seen a world that's just, they haven't seen a church that's just kind. What they've seen is a church that's very firm in our faith, which we should be firm, but very firm without the kindness. The Bible says that it's the kindness of God that actually leads us to repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So we can stand firm in our faith and be kind, right? We cannot back down from what God's word says and be kind. And what a legacy we can leave right here in Amelia Island. And people will say, man, I don't know if, if, if I understand it all. I don't know if I even believe it all. But man, when I encounter people from Celebration Church, those are some of the kindest people I've ever met. Like what a legacy to leave, right? What a legacy to leave. Everybody say kindness. Now, this next one is goodness. Everybody say goodness. Goodness was an interesting one. And uh, here's the question with goodness. How can I allow the Bible to shape what I see as good? How can I allow the Bible to shape what I see as good? The reason I say it that way uh, is because we actually live in a world that wants to define its own good. It wants to say what they think is good. And this speaks of morality. See, if we allow the Bible to shape what we see as good, we live according to what God wants, not according to what the world wants. And we live in a world that says that, no, I can create my own good. I can define my own good. And how many of you know that there's some things that the world says is good that the Bible says, no, that's actually not good? And our goal is not to just be popular it's not to be accepted by everybody. Our goal is to live godly lifestyles and be fruitful. And if we're going to do that, we've got to be willing to say, okay, God, you are the one who defines what's good. Not me, not my own heart. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. So we can trick ourselves into believing that this thing, whatever it is, is good. When the Bible says, no, it's actually not good. It's not to your benefit to live that way. So we want to make sure, number one, that we're allowing the Bible to define what's good. But this word goodness, I was actually studying it out, and it actually means something else. It actually means to be generous to others, to be good to others, to be generous to them. And generosity 
can look a lot of different ways. Generosity is more than just writing a check or giving someone money. That's a way to do it, and we thank God for that opportunity. But did you know you can be generous by making someone a meal? You can be generous by cutting someone's grass. You can be generous by just going to sit with someone who hadn't had anyone come spend time with them, whether they're in a hospital or the nursing home. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your words. Wow, there's so many ways that we can be generous. And how awesome would it be? How awesome would it be? Think about it, Celebration Church. If Amelia Allen would say, man, those people over at Celebration Church are some of the most generous people I've ever met. Every time I see them, they're serving somebody. Every time I see them, they're giving away things. Every time I see them, they're investing in others and they're spending their time. What an amazing, amazing legacy we can leave of fruitfulness by being generous to others, by being good to others. Everybody say generous. Number seven is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Here's the question. How can I live a more faith-filled life? How can I live a more faith-filled life? You know, I love this one because this talks about a couple of different ways of faithfulness. Number one, it's faithfulness, obviously, to our Savior, to our King, to Jesus. And in the world that we live in and will live in in the future, Jesus actually described what it would look like in the days leading up to his return. And it's not an easy place to say, man, I'm faithful to Jesus. It's going to get a little more challenging. And so what God is encouraging us to do is, hey, remain faithful. Remain faithful. Remain rooted. Right? Live the life before man that brings glory and honor to God the Father. Be faithful. But here's the other way that this faithfulness can be used. It's the word loyalty. Faithfulness to each other. Right? This faithfulness where, man, Pastor Carlos, if you're hurting, I'm hurting. Man, if you're down, I'm not just going to say get over it. I'm going to come sit with you because you're my brother. I'm going to say, man, that upset you. What's upsetting me? Like, let's talk about it. It's being faithful. It's being in it with each other to the end. And what if the world could see a group of people who maybe we don't all look alike, maybe we don't sound alike, maybe we don't have the same background and we don't all live in the same neighborhood, but man, they could say, well, these people are faithful to each other. They're loyal to each other. They got each other's back. Man, you mess with one of them, you got to mess with all of them, right? <laughs> Faithfulness. This is a character that Jesus himself actually talks about and one of the last prayers he prayed in the book of John, chapter 17, Jesus is praying. He's talking to God the Father. And he's praying for his disciples. But then he says, I want to pray for those who will believe because of these disciples. So he's praying about us. And listen to what he says. He says, Father God, make them one. Make them unified as you and I are one. Because by this, the world will actually believe that you sent me. Think about how powerful our faithfulness to each other is. That Jesus said that the gospel, the gospel will be based on whether we're unified or not. See, when the world looks at, each, at itself, it can see the division, it can see the disunity, and it's normal. But when they look at us, y'all, they should see something different. They should see a group of people who say, man, I got your back. I'm rolling with you, man. I'm in it to the end, and we're going to be faithful to each other. We're going to love each other. We're going to serve each other. We're going to protect each other. No matter where we come from, we're going to be faithful to the end. Everybody say faithful. What would Amelia Island look like if they could see a group of people? Faithful. Number eight, gentleness. Everybody say gentleness. 
Here's the question. How can I show more empathy to others? How can I show more empathy to others? Now, this one is similar to kindness, but I want us to think about this word empathy. Think about the fact that God the Father sent his only son to die a horrible, brutal, horrific death on a cross. And he did it because he loves mankind. He did it for me. He did it for you. He did it for everybody. He didn't just do it for those of us who are in this room and in the family of God now. Hey, guess what? He did it for the ones who don't even believe yet. He did it for all of us. So when I was studying this out, what I came to understand is that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me in this gentleness about we've got to be more gentle with people. We've got to be more empathetic towards people. People, listen, people are important to God. Jesus didn't die just for a denomination or a building or any of Jesus died for people. God loves people. And it's this thought here. I, got, I have a daughter and I have a son. And if one of you came to me and said, hey, Pastor Michael, man, I think you're amazing. I think you're great, man. Like, I love you. I love you. But then you walked off and you were harsh towards my children and you didn't care about them and you didn't love them and you didn't treat them well. It doesn't matter what you're saying to me. Those are my kids. That's my family. And what do you think God the Father feels like when we're not kind and empathetic towards his children, the ones that haven't come here yet, right? <laughs> Gentleness. Hey, everybody, we can be empathetic. We can think, what might it feel like to be them? What might it feel like to be them? What might it feel like not to know all of these scriptures? I don't know anything. I'm just coming in fresh off the street. What might it feel like not to have a family of believers that are around me and I'm alone? Like, what, what could it be like to be in that place? Maybe some of you have been in that place before. Let's be empathetic and ask the question, what if it were me? Everybody say empathy. Everybody say gentleness. And here's the last fruit of the Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit put this one last on purpose. <laughs> Y'all already going there with me, right? I think he put it there on purpose. Self-control. Everybody say self-control. <laughs> Here's the question. What boundaries do I need to implement or restore? What boundaries in my life do I need to have in place? See, I believe God put this here purposefully because the reality is, is that we're living in a society where nobody wants boundaries. Nobody wants to be told where to stop where the line is, don't cross, like, nobody wants to, everybody wants to just do their own thing, come up with their own truth, right? So people are trying to live their own versions of truth and reality, and it reminds me, it reminds me of one of the saddest Bible verses, one of the saddest verses when God was talking about his people. It comes out of the book of Judges, chapter 21, and this was during a time where God would lead his people through prophets and judges. And here's what it says, Judges chapter 21, it says, then the people of God departed by their tribes and their families, and they returned to their own homes. And in those days, they had no king. And all of the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. And then we fast forward, and we get this guy named Solomon, son of the King David. And if you know anything about Solomon, you know that the Bible says that he was the wealthiest man to ever live during that time, possibly the wealthiest person to ever live, period. 
had everything that you could possibly want. He writes this book, Ecclesiastes, where he talks about his life, where he pursued everything. He lived the life that so many are trying to live now, where he had it all, he did it all, he experienced it all, he tried it all. Listen, this guy had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Can somebody say trouble, right? He did it all. He just went for it. He said, hey, there are no boundaries, and I'm going to do anything I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, where I want to do it. No self-control. And the challenge is that when that happens, the Bible tells us what happened to Solomon. The Bible says that his heart started drifting away from God. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he he recounts all of this. And here's what it says. I'm just going to read it for you. Ecclesiastes, right at the end of the book, chapter 12, verse 8. Here's what he says. He says, meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So everything that I did, everything that I tried, everything I thought would bring me happiness and peace, meaningless. This is what Solomon says. And he finishes in verse 13 and 14. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands. Fear God and keep his commands. So after I've tried it all and done it all, and by the way, he also said that there's nothing new under the sun, by the way. Fear God and keep his commands. There's a guy named G.K. Chesterton who, um, he was an author and a theologian. He kind of echoed that. He kind of echoed this thought of people think that life is hard when you don't have everything that you want. And here's what he said. He said, meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. Think about that. How many people do you know who have it all and they're never satisfied? They have it all and they never have peace in their life. They've done it all. They've tried it all. And they're still searching. And look, they're searching. They're searching at the bottom of a, a wine bottle glass. They're searching with prescription pills. They're searching in all of these different ways. They're searching with, with lifestyles that it's just all about pursuit and pleasure. They're searching. But it's meaningless to everybody. The Bible says that we should fear God, trust him, and keep his commands. And this is the word of the Lord. So here's the question that I want to ask. What would Amelia Allen look like if we genuinely loved people, had joy in our hearts, had peace? What would it look like if we were gentle and we were kind and we were thoughtful and we demonstrated faithfulness and self-control? What would Amelia Allen look like? Here's what I believe it looked like. I believe we see people who are far from God take notice and say, man, I don't know what's going on over there at Celebration Church, but something's different. They're producing good fruit. I believe that the, the lost would get saved. I believe that people would say, you know what? I want what they have. I believe we see families restored. I believe we see generations and generational curses broken off people's lives. I'm believing that God can move in a powerful way when we choose to live a life of legacy and we choose to live a life of fruitfulness and we have the opportunity to look at people and say, I know that you're seeing something on the outside, but let me tell you what's happened on the inside. What you're seeing on the outside is because of what happened on the inside. So I want to close this message the only way I know how, and that's just going before God, just to ask him to help us. So right there where you are, would you do me a favor and just bow your heads and allow me to pray over you? God, I've done my best to just be a vessel to be used by you, to just speak what you placed on my heart. God, I believe that it is a word for Celebration Church, for Amelia Allen, Lord Jesus. I believe that you're going to do some amazing things as we humble ourselves and as we seek you, God, to work through us, to live a life of legacy, to live a life of fruitfulness, God. 
I pray, God, that you would touch every one of us, God, and inspire us, encourage us, Lord God, to follow you and to trust you. And by your grace, by your power, by your strength, Holy Spirit, we're going to display that fruit. God, would you give us the ability to live a life that demonstrates who you are and to reach people who are lost, to reach the broken, to reach the hurting, to reach people who need a touch from you. God, you are the only hope for our world. You're the only hope, and we depend on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church Amelia Island or to get in touch with us, please visit celebrationai.org.